Hello and welcome to Integrating Chinese Medicine, sponsored by the Dow Health. I am Elizabeth Cullen. And I am Georgia Payton. And we are traditional Chinese medicine practitioners and acupuncturists. We're your hosts, providing an educational platform for practical ways to integrate Eastern medicine into your Western lifestyle. Throughout this podcast series, we will be discussing the benefits of getting to know our bodies in a practical sense and how to be an advocate for your own health. Thank you so much, Joe and Tamara, for coming onto the podcast. It's such a pleasure to have you both here. We are happy to, to be here. here. <laughs> so Joe Murdoch and Tamara Woods are pelvic health and musculoskeletal physiotherapists, directors of the physiotherapy clinic and founders of Born Ready, a birth course focusing on empowering women with in-depth knowledge about birth and how to prepare their bodies for birth. Joe and Tam share a passion for helping as many women as possible through education, prevention and physiotherapy treatment. That's incredible, ladies. Thank you. So excited to hear all about what you do and how you educate women. I think um, where we'd love to start is, can you explain the connection of women's health and pelvic floor health? Sure. Go for that, Joe. Yeah. I'll I'll go for this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, the connection. Okay. Well, let's start with the fact that all humans have pelvic floors so men um and and of course there is um relevance to that in a male's life at certain times but Mm. we're here to talk about women and they uh, we tend to have I guess more issues that can happen in and around the pelvis in women throughout our life stages Mm. so um we certainly understand uh pelvic health in women far more in our clinic (laughs) than in men. Um, Yeah, so I think the relevance is that I guess the pelvis itself sits in the centre of your body Um, and within the pelvis we house, you know, three very important organs. So our bladder, our uterus and our rectum sit inside the pelvis Mm. and underneath those organs they are supported by a very... um, I guess, robust layer of endopelvic fascia Mm -hmm. um, of which we have a layer of muscles integrated in. And the the layer of those muscles kind of keep that fascia robust and healthy Mm -hmm. and that's super important for supporting those three organs that live inside Mm. the pelvis. So I guess a lot goes on inside the pelvis of a woman and um, therefore I guess a lot can go wrong as Mm. well inside the pelvis and that's why there is a specialty that understand the detail of um, the pelvic floor the pelvic organs and the layer of fascia I'm talking about Mm -hmm. Mm. and so if a woman comes to see you what can they expect from their first women's health internal physio appointment so often women come and see us and don't expect us <laughs> to even do an internal <laughs> at all. Bit of a surprise. <laughs> um, and so I guess normal would be a lot of talking to begin with because yeah. we really need to get to the bottom of why they're here right now, which could be things like leaking, so stress urinary incontinence or overactive bladder or pelvic pain, dyspareunia, so pain with sex. Mm. Um, and so we need to get to the bottom of that so that we can obviously actually help them. Mm-hmm. And what we find is that anything that's ever happened to them ever since they were a child can contribute to these problems that okay. they're coming in with, which are pelvic floor or pelvic health related. So lots of talking, lots yeah. of gaining trust. Mm-hmm. And then I usually pose the question of, do you know what we're, what we're going to do now? <laughs> do you know what we do here? <laughs> um, and some do and some don't. Yeah. Um, but obviously if you've taken the time to really understand why they're there, then usually they are comfortable enough to do an internal at that Mm. point. Still though, before that, we will get behind them and feel where their pelvis is in space, where their whole body is in space actually, because 
not only, I suppose, are we interested in what's going on on the inside of the pelvis, but we can appreciate how important everything else is since mm. it is all so connected in yeah. our amazing bodies. So we will feel and visually assess where the body is and mm. potentially with a few little movement tasks because they give us a bit of an understanding okay. about what's going on on the pelvis and then we'll go up and do the internal from there. So I think that helps gain a bit of trust as well. Some, yeah. um, you know, just touching of the outside of the pelvis before yeah. getting up on the bed yep. yeah. yeah, and doing the internal. So that's usually what's what, what we do. Sometimes we skip the internal though if we okay, just okay. really need to talk a lot. Yeah. But yeah. usually I'll try. I um, do that on the first appointment just because I think otherwise it almost builds it up in people's minds a little bit too much before that next appointment. Yeah, most definitely. Mm. And once you experience an internal and you feel comfortable because you're with a trusted practitioner, it's okay. Yeah, I think it's, yeah, 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 yeah. Not a big deal. And sometimes we have to (laughs) remind ourselves that it is a big deal. Don't you think, Joe? for some people? Yeah, yeah, totally. You do forget because in our minds, you know, we're just assessing fascia and muscle and we deal with that on the outside of the body. So we do forget that this is a bit more, um, I guess, you know, scary for some women. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) weird. I, um, once I got that understanding of the pelvic floor as another group of muscles as well and fascia, as you're saying, Joe, that really got my head around getting an internal as well, that it's another muscular group that we need to look mm. after. So, yeah, it's, um, it's yeah, wonderful treatment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's fun, I think, once they realise that, you know, because you, you, you're telling them what you're feeling as you're feeling yeah. it and that's yeah. your hip. And they're like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> here it is. Yeah, yeah, it's connected, see? <laughs> that helps too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Sometimes, Liz, um, it might be worth just mentioning, um, we do use real-time ultrasound a lot as well mm. and we can do that um, trans-abdominally, so it just sits okay. over the abdominal wall. Okay. Um, and we can do it transperineally as well, so it sits over the perineum. And what mm. that does is it allows us to look inside the look inside the pelvis okay. if we can't, yeah. for whatever reason, feel. Okay. Um, and there are times where you can't. Um, we have this next layer of assessment where we can at least see. Yes. Okay. So that's handy. And yeah. that's that's internal as well, Joe. No, that's not. Oh, so that's transperineal. Yeah. So the transperineal probe just sits on the perineum or just over the vulva. Oh, over, okay. Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. Not not inside. Oh, that's right. that's called transvaginal, okay. and I guess that's um, women would be used to that if they were looking at ovaries or mm, yeah. um, you know um, lots of women having fertility treatment are of course very used to transvaginal ultrasounds. But mm. no, this is on the outside. Okay. Or yeah. even less invasive still, I suppose, is transabdominal, where it literally just goes on the bottom okay. of the abdominal wall. Yeah. And mm. you it, you can't see as um, much detail as transperineal, but you can certainly see the bladder. Okay. Um, and you can see how the bladder moves under pressure, and you can see how the pelvic floor muscles work. Yeah. Okay. okay. And would you use that in conjunction with an internal? Often, yeah. um, often, because it's nice. It's nice to get a visual, particularly of the fascia, because we're feeling the mobility of the fascia, and we're getting our, I guess, subjective impression of that. Mm, yeah. But it's really nice to see where it moves and take yeah. some measures on the screen. And mm. it's also lovely for the patients to see it. They love that yeah, feedback connection. That's great. Um, yeah. yeah, it really helps them understand what's going on. Yeah, that's great. Mm, amazing. And for a patient who uh, may be a little bit hesitant to doing an internal, could you do that as another option? Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What's your preferred way of assessing? Combo. Well, Combo? it depends on the patient. I yeah. think the pain patients in internal, yeah. definitely, and less yeah. so the transperineal ultrasound, yeah. less mm. so the transabdominal, yeah. but certainly our stress urinary incontinence yeah, or yeah. prolapse women that come in, yeah. I would want a combo yeah, of right. um, internal assessment and also transperineal because, again, mm. we are growing our eyes, I think, in yeah, that area beautiful. and we can see more yeah. and um, the patients can see it too and they've had just these – Again, it's like creating this map, right, of mm. 
a whole different area like you understand your hand because you can see it but yeah. this mm. almost creates a visual of the inside of the pelvis which is cool yeah. yeah it gives you a big picture of what's going on it's mm. great and you can do it in different positions as well it's difficult to do an internal exam in standing okay. uh, it okay. can be done but it but it's, it's difficult awkward. But but for some reason holding an ultrasound on the perineum in standing is less weird. Um it's because it's supportive a little bit, I think. Like it and you don't have to look. You're not looking, you just yeah, yeah, you're yeah. looking at the screen. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Oh, true. Yeah, okay. Yeah. And what's mm. the ideal positioning? Well, I mean, I guess if you want to assess someone under load, mm. um, it, usually when we're talking about stress incontinence or prolapse and we're trying to understand exactly what's going on for that patient during a certain task, mm. um, you know, o- often they will feel their symptoms, of course, worse in standing yeah, or yeah. during a squat or, you know, single leg stance or something. You mm. kind of just want to get a bit of a, I guess, a bit more accurate impression of what's going on in, in those mm positions Mm. yeah great and if a couple or an individual are planning to conceive when is the best time to have a pelvic floor checkup pre or during pregnancy i love this question actually (laughs) um i thought you might that's why i paused (laughs) (laughs) well um i i i we're i'm going to sound quite biased and i think liz you'll probably appreciate this as well um when your caseload is full of women with pelvic pain or PCOS or endometriosis mm. um, and you hear the heartbreaking stories of women who are struggling to fall pregnant yeah. and uh, you know deep down inside that if you had have seen them five years earlier and being, yeah. been able to coach them in the right direction, they wouldn't be where they were today. So yeah. I think because we see and thankfully we are seeing more women earlier in mm. their um, particularly endometriosis kind of journey and Tam and I are, are similar um, we are quite honest with them about mm. where they're at and what they need to think about in terms of fertility mm. um, and I think some of them are quite shocked at that but mm. uh, we just explain that you know we've seen too many stories now of women that haven't had the right treatment at the right time yeah so and and then they struggle and uh yeah it's too sad so i think the i would say if they're planning and i'm sure you guys would be the same if they're starting to think about it we would love mm. to see them before they yeah. are pregnant yeah. yes. so many yeah. women have pelvic floor dysfunction and have no idea yeah. or yeah. have symptoms but just ignore them oh yeah, yeah. i've always gone to the toilet every hour or yeah. oh yeah I've always had constipation or you know them. sex has always been a bit painful I but just kind okay. of thought that was normal yeah 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 so um we we, we would love to see them before they yeah. are pregnant <laughs> yeah most definitely Georgia and I would both recommend patients to see you know you guys um as an internal pelvic floor physio as an assessment the sooner that you can really because again pelvic health you know it is so important and you know we treat from an acupuncture and Chinese medicine side of things with women's yeah. health but we just see how beneficial the outcomes are when the two modalities work together and I think, yeah, as, as you said, Joe, the sooner the sooner that someone can begin to support their pelvic health, the better. And the smoother their pregnancy yep. as well, mm. a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, if you learn about it all beforehand, then oh, so much better. I feel like some freak out a bit once they get pregnant, um, yeah. you know, and because yeah. they don't understand the area. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it's better to understand it all beforehand mm. yes and that's why we send them your way too yes. <laughs> oh. yeah. go team and get healthy get healthy get healthy yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and when a woman does fall pregnant when should she come to see you guys because she can she see you throughout the first trimester to be honest we've changed i think we've gotten more and more conservative as time has gone on um obviously speaking to more and more people we don't tend to do an internal assessment we've never done it in that first trimester because the rate of miscarriage is so high of Mm. course yeah it's not so much that we think we're going to create a miscarriage because that's that's not 
the case. Um, yeah. But because the rate is so high, obviously mm. we don't want to create an association with doing mm. an internal mm. um, and then a miscarriage happening in, yeah. in that little patch of time. So yeah. we don't do it in the first trimester. And actually now we tend to wait until they've had that 20-week scan. Okay. And that is because um, we want to know where the placenta is. If they have a really low-lying placenta, so placenta previa, yeah. that is, it's a contraindication to doing an internal. So okay. we tend to wait until that 20-week scan where we know where the placenta is and then go from there. Okay. Um, so yeah. hence, even better, right, to know what your pelvic floor is like before um, becoming pregnant yes. or else you generally will find that you'll be waiting until that 20-week mark. There's yeah. just a few little caveats to that, of course, if we think they've got really bad pelvic girdle pain, which can mm-hmm. happen, and we've tried to help them externally but it's just not working, then sometimes some internal muscle, part of the pelvic floor and or hip, can be tight and creating that pain. So in those circumstances, we might um, do it within that 14 mm. to 20-week mark, but we, we try and wait if yeah. we can. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Is yeah. there any research that is being undertaken at the moment to say that, that it is contraindicated from that, say, for example, the 12 to 20-week mark? Because I guess at the end of the day, sometimes there would be more benefit than a patient struggling, like depending yeah, on the no. individual base. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we do pick it, right? Like, to be honest, we only just recently-ish have changed it from 14 to 20 weeks. In the past, we were absolutely doing an internal in between then. And if I think it's warranted or if they're really worried or if they're leaking, right, a lot, um, yeah, yeah, then we'll do it and we'll just explain to them that it's a theoretical risk, actually, um, in terms of potentially inducing labour. The only caveat to that, though, like I said, is, placenta previa is yeah, actually a contraindication yeah. so yeah 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 okay mm. and when we talk postpartum when should the pelvic floor be assessed at this time and is this only for vaginal births good one um so with we usually assess the pelvic floor muscles at around about the six week mark okay um again a little bit dependent on symptoms Mm, so um you know if a woman does have symptoms before then of course they can come Mm. we tend to wait until a woman has stopped bleeding um obviously it's more ideal if the cervix is closed so Mm, as not to introduce any form of infection Mm. um but generally speaking it is around about the six week mark and of course that um assessment starts with the subjective history so we really do want to nut out their birth story yeah Um, most definitely as yeah you guys know there's lots of elements to the birth that sort of start to I guess give you some clues as to what you might find Mm. um and yeah and again that assessment is about what's going on with the fascia and how Mm. how stretched is the fascia Mm. um if it was a vaginal delivery and where are the organs in space at that moment in time yeah and then what is the function of the muscles Mm. and to be honest we're not expecting loads if they have ever had a vaginal delivery at six weeks we're not expecting that their muscles have bounced back to optimal function yeah Mm. although some although some do let me say Mm. but we're not we're not we're not at all expecting that but we are Mm. expecting some decent resting tone yeah um because that's sort of i guess the most indicative factor of their future risk of pelvic organ prolapse and it will also help guide us as to how we do um, return them to exercise or mm. modify their activities of daily living. So, for example, if they have just got very low, what we call low resting tone mm. in their muscles and their fascia is very mobile, um, then their risk of prolapse is is higher. Okay. And so we would be saying, you know, okay, we really need you to lie down, you know, in the day and ideally you don't carry your baby for much more than, what, whatever length of time yeah, we decide, right. 20 yeah. minutes. And mm-hmm. we want you to keep your walking to a minimum. Um, mm. You know, sorry, you're not quite there for running yet because of, you know, and that's and that's very evidence-based practice actually. Mm. We yeah. definitely know that and that's helpful for us and it's helpful for the patients because we can be really blunt with them. Yeah, say, which is good. You, you can if you like. 
but we yeah. know for sure your risk of prolapse is la 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 yeah so yeah. we do start that conversation at around about the six week mark but as i said our, our expectations at that point are relatively low so we're not getting too concerned i suppose okay. if the tone is low and the strength is not there yet we're not worried we just it just starts helps us start a plan of action yeah. as to how we can get that that woman to where she needs to be yeah. um, and in terms of whether or not it was a um a vaginal delivery or a caesar well i mean of course if it was a cesarean section and the baby has not traveled down and through the pelvic floor muscles then we are expecting that the pelvic floor muscles should be okay mm. it's going to be a little bit dependent on whether or not that was an emergency cesarean yeah. section or a yeah. land mm. um because of course some women can get fully dilated and yeah. can even start second stage and yeah. still end up in an emergency so that's um, that's definitely going to have an impact on the pelvic floor. Mm. Um, but if we didn't know that woman's pelvic floor prior to that delivery, yeah. then we would still urge them to have an assessment yeah. um, without an assumption that they are fine because, of mm. course, lots mm. of people will say, oh, I've had a season, my pelvic floor will be fine, but the reality yeah. is it may not have been fine no. before. Yeah. Yeah, the delivery. Yeah. So it's yeah. still a good opportunity to have that um, the pelvic floor assessed. Okay, and by yes, carrying... they tend to be tight. Sorry to add in there, yeah. they um okay. they tend to be high tone. And there's some stats that I'll have to pull out. <laughs> I can never remember stats ever. <laughs> like numbers just go. Yeah. But the rate of dyspareunia post cesarean birth is high okay. because it's a big operation yeah. and particularly if you've got factors in your history that created mm. a degree of tonicity before and of yeah. course they're usually the the women that often don't get their babies out vaginally so easily and then yeah. end up with a cesarean yeah. um the big operation obviously like any operation in any part of the body the muscles get tight in yeah. order to try and support the area because yeah, um, yeah. it is painful, of course, to Caesar as well. Mm. So they're often high in tone. So them just even understanding that, yes, it's not going to be affected anatomically, like everything will be connected. But it's not yeah. going to be too floppy usually, yeah. but it could be the other way. Um, yeah. And therefore, yeah, yeah okay. get those types of symptoms. And I guess on that note, I guess, you know, yes, not a vaginal birth, but at the same time, the pelvic floor has still been under stress from holding a baby for nine months as well. Is that something that needs to be considered yeah. for, or not really? Yeah, the, it, 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 so, in, so, maybe theory, not. in theory, <laughs> in yes, theory, I think the no. pregnancy, the hormones, <laughs> in reality. Yeah, not so much. I mean, how many of you seen that a, a longer pelvic floor more low resting tone mm. postpartum after a Caesar. Not so many. Not so many. No. Okay. okay. And no. just on the note it's of what, a- I was just going to say, Joe. just on the note of what you're saying with prolapse, um, when, what is the risk with prolapse, say, for example, post six weeks? Like what does that look like for a patient? Because I think a lot of the time they think, hey, I'm in the clear, six weeks post, you know. I'm good to go. I'm good to go, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay. So I suppose we could start with the risk of pelvic organ prolapse post-vaginal delivery is dependent on that delivery. Yeah, okay. So, for example, if someone's sort of sitting there telling us that they they pushed for two hours, they ended up with an episiotomy and forceps mm-hmm. um, and they birthed a 4.2 kilo baby, mm. then our radar is going Wow, wow. Yeah, okay. It's good to know. Lots of risk factors. Mm. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, and so in that case, we it, that does then correlate with what we find um, anatomically. So they'll have that low resting tone. Their muscles won't work very well. One or more of the organs will be laying quite low already. Yeah. Um, and we know we've got a lot of work to do there, both Mm. in education and treatment. Mm. Um, And in the case that I guess it was a a relatively less risky birth, so let's say, you know, I only pushed for an hour, it was a 3.3 kilo baby, um, small second degree perineal tear, really good experience, da-da-da, then it's 
it's real that six week check is really um varied so some women truly you will take because we have multiple sort of assessments that we are taking and you'll assess everything so from tone resting tone to activity to ability to relax to holding with breath controlling with function all of these different elements and they will be perfect and you're like wow and so they're it, so long as their resting tone is in with the um, limits that we want, mm, yeah. their risk of prolapse is very low, okay. small. Yep. And we measure um, that resting tone with a, an actual stick, right? So yeah. mm-hmm. true ruler measure. Numbers. Real numbers. Yep. <laughs> so it's not vague. It's not, oh, it's kind of okay, which it used to be, right? A bit semi-vague. It used to be yeah. vague and yeah. it used to be far more based on time timelines too, Liz. Okay. Um, so... But we, we don't have to use time anymore because mm. we do have these valid measures that we can use, which we think is really important because for some women, if they are doing really well at six weeks and they are an athlete mm. yeah. and they need to get back to their sport, mm. then it's great that we don't have to stop them anymore just because of a time frame. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. Um, and then, of course, the opposite is true, right? So you can have someone whose resting tone is way too low still at 22 weeks post you know and we still are either having to modify their activity or return them to sport in a different way Mm. or (laughs) i can bring it up we can use support pessaries as as an alternate in that case as well yeah great so we can uh, because what that does is reduces their risk of prolapse Okay. okay And yeah, is that something up. that would be only temporary while their tone of their pelvic floor is being improved postpartum? Is that kind of how? Yeah, in that case, in that case, in that we're case, sort of yeah. using it prophylactically. Okay. So, for, so there is no prolapse yet, but we're worried that one will come because okay. of this low resting tone situation. But this person really wants to return back to a certain activity because of whatever yeah. and so we go well listen while you're busy rehabilitating your pelvic floor muscles mm-hmm. and optimizing that function because that takes time you're desperate to get back to this we're going to go up and support the organs yeah. and yes and and we will wean you off that as um things improve okay okay yeah and i think you touched on this a little bit before but would you say that's it is imperative to wait until a woman has an assessment from a pelvic floor physio to get approval to do exercise postpartum. Well, look, I mean, that's <laughs> the best case scenario, isn't it? Um, yeah. In our minds. Um, and it's really just truly um, like a, a sense of safety for us. <laughs> like yeah. we, we almost, I always panic if someone's going back to exercise without mm-hmm. a check. Um, I guess because like, you know, Tam and I and all of our colleagues have seen the ramifications of, I guess, not optimizing things. And then, you know, again, it's a bit like the fertility story. It's a little bit heartbreaking when you, when you find someone's prolapse and realize it could have probably been prevented. Yeah. So I guess that's the reason, but we, um, I guess we do also appreciate that lots of your listeners may not have access, um, to a women's health assessment, which is tricky. It's really mm. tricky. I don't even know how to advise on that, Tam. I don't know if you've got any I ideas. Think, I mean, to me, if I was just thinking what I would do if I was on a telehealth, for example, which mm. still might not be possible, mm. but again, bringing it back to that story, right, what happened at the birth, mm. if yeah. there was the forceps, the big baby, all that type of stuff, the long second stage, then we would assume, given that's what we find clinically, usually that you would need to wait longer. Mm. And then then yeah. you could pace them into activity and watch for symptoms to a yeah. degree. Okay. So, you know, it's mm. more timeline based. You definitely need to wait for 12 weeks. And if yeah. you're still feeling heavy, if you're leaking, then we obviously cannot push your body yeah. that yeah. step further yet. We need to give it more time. You need to do a bit more pelvic floor exercise. Whereas I suppose those that had that, um, you know, no risk factors in their birth experience, everything went pretty smooth. And if they're feeling great at six weeks, so no heaviness, no dragging, no leaking, mm. no difficulty emptying their bladder about none mm. of the, the check things that actually you can get from a questionnaire, to be yeah. honest, then um, 
then they're probably okay mm, to okay. start yeah. to again pace this yeah. pace themselves back into exercise they haven't exercised like that for ages so time. yeah you know it's always a pace right hormonally they're completely different as well yeah so you could do it that way yeah and does this include Good walking idea. as well yeah. <laughs> sorry i missed that i'm sorry does this include walking as well it depends, right? So mm. again, um, it will depend on what happened at the birth and where that resting tone is, which mm. we get from that length measure. But those with low resting tone usually feel quite heavy. I mean, I know I did, Joe. Do you remember? I called her yes. over to my house yeah. <laughs> to do an internal on me because I was so concerned. Mm. And this is the story for many women. And I, I guess if you're feeling heavy, mm. Adding extra load via walking is probably, yeah, non-optimal. Equally, yeah. I appreciate that you might need it for your mental health, but yeah. maybe just going outside as just opposed outside. to pounding the pavement would be a good idea. Okay. So maybe keeping it because like at the end of the day, clinic, like in clinic, we see new mums. They always like, you know, oh, I've taken a baby for a walk mm. and, you know, they might be six days postpartum yeah um what would be say for example if we were to give a healthy boundary with time that yes for their mental health it's great to get outside go and grab a coffee but would it be say for example 10 minutes of gentle walking rather than pushing it at like half an hour to 40 minutes or it's so funny again it just is so variable Mm. yeah based Mm. off the birth based off their previous experience as well I mean if we told athletes for example who we're seeing a lot more of these days that they can only go for a five minute walk in six days I mean they could murder (laughs) us it's possible so and and Mm. equally they're often feeling fine but if they're not if they're feeling heavy then yes they need to um 10 minutes would be better so it's such a hard one to create rules isn't it and they've created guidelines but then they don't fit everybody wish they did and if they're getting that heaviness they might not know that that's their pelvic floor that's feeling heavy they might feel really sore so it's it's difficult to kind of tell especially if they're a new new first-time mum and if they've had a tear yeah there's so much pain down there Yeah. yeah yeah Yeah, that's it. And then they worry that it's their organs, actually, which is exactly what I was worried about when I called Joe over (laughs) at like four weeks postpartum. But it's often not. It's just just their pelvic floor sitting what was up high and now down low. And that is a weird feeling that isn't delightful so I guess reducing the concern at that stage knowing that it's normal it is normal to feel heavy it's normal to leak at times it's normal to not have control over your bladder Mm. Um, and these should improve but of course if they if you're feeling these things then adding walking and gravity and pushing it is probably not going to do you um, any good at that stage yeah Okay. One thing we love to do, Liz, that you, I'm sure you guys would love to, is mm. um, teach teach women to like get horizontal, particularly in the afternoon. And mm. if they can teach themselves to breastfeed side lying, it's mm. okay. like a miracle because yeah. um, it's just another uh, like even sitting, you're still sitting, everything's down. down. Yeah. So on um, your vagina, that's hurting. Yeah, yeah. It's quite yeah. crazy, yeah, actually. Pleasant. Yeah. 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 And a lot of women, it would be great if you guys could introduce this idea if you're not already to your patients, uh, because a lot of them go, oh, no, mm, I'm because breastfeeding is hard as mm. it is. So then, mm. and then training them to um, do it in side lying, mm. they, they find impossible, but um, it is a game changer to be able to okay. side lie, feed in side lying and not have to be upright. Okay. Or, or for even your like pelvic floor. Emmy recline, don't you think? Like, if you can't mm. do side lie, then. Like, like we don't want them when they're pregnant. Like, just mm. a little few mm. pillows behind. Like a beach chair, kind of. Yeah. At like least, a beach like, how we, like how we have, have um, pregnant patients yeah. after 20 weeks. Yeah. Like, we either have them side lying or we have them lying up. Reclined. Reclined. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like that. Um, which, mm. Yeah. And this is going to be a silly question, but um, from side lying, are they able to breastfeed from both sides? You sort of can. Yeah. You can kind of manoeuvre. You can um, flip over. Um, yeah. <laughs> or you just change sides. Yeah. 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 Okay, good. It's tip. usually easier to get the top boob in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but then Singing other people will say they prefer the bottom boob in. So yeah. you just play yeah. around with it. Okay. <laughs> I don't yeah. know. What did you find? Do you remember, Tam? Oh, me, I this is I couldn't do it side by, so that's why I have a lot of but I absolutely was 
reclined, very yeah. reclined, and I was loving it there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, sitting, sitting, it's just, it's Not quite, great. it's, yeah, it I often say it's like it. spraining your ankle, honestly, and, yeah. and you're having stitches potentially as well, swollen, sore, yeah. and then sitting on it. Yeah, it same with the sense, vagina. Like it? you're just going to sit on it after it's been through all of this. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, so yes, choose one or the other. Lie yeah. down or semi recline. I um I remember hearing someone telling me I did a course and they say that the research does show that the optimal position for bub to feed is in a recline position for mum and baby. Yeah. Oh really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So. For everybody, I think it's because the jaw, the jaw of the baby is the strongest. Um, well, it's babies come out pretty, pretty helpless, right? Human babies because they come out premature because our pelvises have gotten too small, etc. They've got to come out early, but their jaw is the strongest thing. So you can imagine Mm. if you're like upright, Mm. the jaw has to, like, that's harder, yeah, and then in kind of, yeah, yeah, Mm. take gravity out Mm. or reduce it, and also we, um we are mammals right so mm. we produce a lot of milk you, yeah. most mammals have more than one offspring so mm. generally speaking most women will produce more milk than they need for their generally speaking one child one baby, yeah. so um that reclined position m- make sure the milk doesn't just like <sighs> spurt yeah. out into the oh, poor yeah. baby's mouth and just <laughs> chokes them (laughs) (laughs) it slows the flow yeah okay yeah so tam and joe what is a born ready course and why did you create it so why we created born ready Mm -hmm. was well because a good number of years ago now born ready has been running for four but it took us a good two years to write that course so let's say six years ago yeah um we were already getting the feeling that Some women were not educating themselves before birth. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of, in our patient cohort, we would hear a lot of this. Oh, I'm just going to see how it goes. I've been told not to make a plan. It never goes to plan. I'm just going to see how it goes. And we'd be like, oh, really? You know, there's some really great courses out there. You should try this. You should try that. I'd done calm birth. So I was a big advocate for calm birth. Yeah, yeah. which Which I still am and I do love. But the feedback was, no, no, too wishy-washy, too woo-woo, too this, too that, not for me. And and we'd go, okay, okay. So we realised that there was this, I guess, space for a course that was a little bit, um, I guess, targeted to the people who preferred this sort of factual scientific mm-hmm. mindset. Just tell me the truth, how yeah. it rolls, um, and then um, I guess how to... Uh, strategies to cope with labor Mm. and so um there was that component to it and then on the clinical side of things we were just getting ourselves our knickers in a notch if you like with all these women coming in with birth stories that we just knew didn't have to be the way they were so we just couldn't help but think if women actually understood the physiology behind birth, if they understood what their body was about to go through and if they understood how to prepare their bodies better before it, Mm. that their stories would have been better and we wouldn't be dealing with their incontinence and prolapse situation. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So that's probably the why and I'll I'll hand over to Tam to talk about the what. Okay. (laughs) So, well, what it has been up until this very point right now is a four-hour face-to-face course Mm. which... We've run, I don't even know how many times now, Joe. many, many times mm. over the four years or five almost that it's mm. been running. But what we are now transitioning to is a part online and part face-to-face practical um, oh, option. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so they'll be going through all the online modules at home, which we think they will um, take on board better than yeah. us spitting it out fast at them yeah, in that sure. face-to-face yeah which we were doing before they'll be able to go back and revise yeah. it again yeah yeah exactly yeah, especially great. when we talk about assistance and we really do get again very scientific with it so we mm. explain yeah. what normal is or what mm. what should happen in this perfect world which of course we don't we don't exist in but that's mm. fine because yeah. if you understand that from a scientific background then you can appreciate how all the different options that can come into their birth story 
will change that. Um, and once yeah. they understand both normal and um, also the other versions of normal that could happen, so the different mm. versions of assistance that could be required, mm. um, then they can choose the right options for themselves. And That's at the so very great. least when they come in, They'll, they'll know that they chose it for a particular reason and they understand the ramification of that and therefore they can appreciate why their body is the way it is and yeah. no one's angry anymore that yeah. has done our course that comes in for that six-week six check. So it was a little selfish on our part, to be fair, Joe. We didn't want to hear those stories anymore. But also we really do feel like we've changed a fair chunk of them um, yeah, to whatever yeah. that woman wants their yeah. story to be not not we don't mind what their story is it's what what they're happy with um yeah. and therefore no one's like I said no one's angry everyone's under yeah. they understand why yeah. it was the way it was so that's that and then yes they'll do the face-to-face -face, so they'll be able to bring in all their questions have their birth partners there Amazing. Yeah. um and hopefully they'll have taken it on board, processed mm -hmm. it, and then be able to ask some good questions. But, of course, we'll take them through all the practical skills. So we'll literally take them through labour. This is first stage. This is yeah. pre-labour. This is second. This is this is third. And yeah, um, bring it in, bring it, hone it in so that yeah. they can create um, whatever plan they want for their birth. Amazing. And I love this idea because we talk about it a lot in our mm. clinic is about empowering women and empowering mm. them to be advocates for their own health and their own choices. So it's amazing to hear that this course enables women to be able to do that too. That, yeah, we just want them to have all the options, understand yeah. all of it. And yeah. <laughs> I am very blunt. So we, yeah. it, is, <laughs> it, is, it. it is true yeah. <laughs> what yeah. is in there. And yeah. therefore, then you just know and, and you yeah. choose for yourself. Um, yeah. Like I said, just all the options. Yes, that's right. Empowering them to make their own decisions. And it's Amazing. so good that the birth partners are also being empowered. Oh, yeah. They make such a big pivotal. difference pivotal yeah depends then, on what you want them to do my husband was pivotal but I didn't want him touching me so we also try and no acupressure <laughs> no we no no acupressure no touching no touching no talking <laughs> um but and you will find I guess that's what we do in the practical bit we try and tease out of because we can see it we've seen it so many times what what birth skills for example what they're gonna be good at with pain yeah, management yeah. or what will work for them yeah because it's not always breathing, right? Sometimes no. it's tapping. Sometimes it's um, creating pain in another body part, staring mm. in a spot. Yeah. And we'll be able to see what, yeah, what the dynamic is between the two of them, whether they are like me and actually his job is to create a safe environment mm. and be silent or... Yeah. It is acupressure for this other couple and, mm. you know, um, massage or kissing even. Yeah. It is so variable. But, again, just knowing what's going to work for them and, and having all the options and choosing the right option is, is yeah. what we're about. Yeah. And, yeah, and having a toolkit to know, like, okay, this isn't working for us, let's try something different. And throughout each stage of labour, if that needs to progress in a different way, then, yeah, there's options. options and mm. they're feeling confident, which makes such a difference. That's it. And knowing when it is a good time to have assistance, when's a yeah. good time yeah. because it is there for a good reason sometimes as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that creates so much less guilt, I think, um, when they, they know that it's a good time to have an epidural, like this would be yeah. a good decision, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and it's not just that they couldn't deal with the pain, for example. Yes. It's mm. not usually it. Yeah. yeah. And also how to um, move their body, I think, um, as physios, mm. we kind of just assume that everyone knows, like, yeah. oh, move your do this, and they go, oh. So showing them um, different ways to move their body during first stage of labour that might actually make the labour more efficient mm. yeah. and helping them understand um, how to um, navigate their labour, if you like. So yeah. know yeah. that as your um, contractions are getting longer and stronger, then you're doing well and you're in a good position. But if it starts to go a bit wonky or starts to stall, mm. change your body, move your body in a different way. And we show them all the different options. Yeah. And they, they seem to correlate as well with the different birthing positions. So, yeah, giving them the power to know that they can put themselves in whatever position is right for them to birth yeah. their baby um, that's the sort of feedback that comes back to us. People go, mm. no, I was in this position and I knew that I needed to get down and change and I did that and it was much faster, it was much better Brilliant. or I could feel um, 
a better sense of urge to push and so I yeah. knew what to do with my body or even recently um, one of our patients came back and said she she ended up having an epidural at about 10 centimetres but just a little bit and then she asked them to turn it down when she mm. was crowning because she wanted to be able to get down into all fours and they turned it down enough that she could feel her legs to change her position. Oh, that's oh, amazing. I'd like so she was able to birth a baby in all fours, which is what she wanted. That's so that's cool. That's amazing. That's so amazing. just knowing, just having the knowledge behind her to know that she could do that. Yeah. 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 And feeling confident to be able to ask of what you want is brilliant. Yeah. It's great. Mm. And Joe, is there an optimal position for labor or it's whatever feels good for the woman? Um, for first stage of labor, um, I, which is, I guess, when your cervix is dilating, um, mm. It's whatever the woman feels good in. Um, yeah. We can tell you reclined is bad. Um, yeah. Generally, less good. Put, <laughs> less good. Less good. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is the wrong word. That it is bad. That's bad word. Less good. <laughs> Sorry. Less optimal is reclined. It will often slow it. Yeah, you guys okay. probably, yeah, have heard that as well. Um, the baby's just in a less optimal position and therefore not um, putting enough pressure down on the cervix to help it dilate. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I guess in that first stage, Georgia, it can be anything from upright standing um, mm. to all fours um, to side lie. Yeah. Uh, less optimal, of course, is on your back. Certainly yeah. less optimal uh, for second stage is being on your back, mm. um, partly because of this idea of having to push a baby up a hill instead of, down so up against gravity but also because um being on your back will block the movement of the sacrum and the sacrum definitely does move open up during second stage it needs to to open the outlet so the baby can come down and through so um optimal for second stage well a lot of women will end up birthing in all fours and often in what we call a split lunge yeah yeah Yeah. really open amazing Mm. Yeah. So because you can open the outlet. Sorry, Liz. Yeah. You go, Tim. Yeah, that's that's (laughs) Joe knows that's my favorite of all favorites because you can stay there in four point meal um for first stage. Yeah. And you can then put your leg up. I feel like I need to show you, but no one (laughs) so (laughs) you're in four point meal. Um and then you put your hands down on the floor Mm. and you put one foot up up like you're bending it like you're in this semi low lunged position like a long yoga. lizard yeah, yoga, lizard yoga yeah. pose. like a yoga like you're yeah. yes i don't know the pose though joe you got it you got the word no there. idea are no you, are you bringing your foot up next to um your hair or well, obviously flexibility correct wise, yes <laughs> bring the split and you've got this leg up in the air um but so you're doing um so right hand and then you bring your right leg. Say, for example, um, very close to your right hand and then the back leg is the knee up. The back leg is just stays back there. Like and knee, point knee on the ground. Knee on the ground, yes. Yeah, okay. And then you can swing your feet wow. out. Oh. Yep. And that <laughs> opens the pelvic outlet. We're going to have so to get a photo from you guys to put up on your Yeah, own. yeah, I'll give you on the photo. Socials, but yes, four-point kneel, hands yeah. stay, knees stay, yeah. and then you pick your right foot up, put it next to your right hand. The left yeah. knee stays back where it was, okay. Yeah, like a three-legged dog. It sounds like a lizard. A lizard, yeah, yeah yoga. <laughs> yeah. Lizard yoga pose. <laughs> yeah and then you can move your feet around basically so you can change the pelvic outlet and mid pelvis which is what the baby is trying to get through to yeah. the baby actually has to complete a series of movements and okay. it can get a little stuck at points yeah. and that's when labors can go a little wonky contractions can slow down you can stop dilating um so this position helps to open the pelvis. it's an extreme position so it can help to open the oh, pelvis no. but Amazing. it's also a very powerful one so if you if you are 10 centimeters yeah yeah, and your hands are on the floor you can push your hands away into the floor and that can create um it it can help you push with a different pressure as opposed to just the pressure of your breath yeah yeah Yeah. support yeah it's supportive it's powerful i know i feel like you need to do it liz down on the floor (laughs) (laughs) um and you're on the floor doing this 
you could be on the floor, you could be on the bed. Quite often the compromise is actually being on the bed. So you've been okay. in four-point meal with your upper body relaxed, hopefully throughout yeah. first stage so that you can almost fall asleep in between each contraction because, okay. of course, there's no pain in between. Yeah. So yeah. supported by lots of pillows and then once second stage and you need to wake up and be more powerful, Yeah, they can drop the bed, put your hands down, yeah. and at least you're up high which often lots lots of providers like you on the bed so that they can assess cervix easier etc lots of different reasons so you can totally be up there and be fine um i was on the floor though (laughs) definitely on the floor yeah i refuse to move yeah Okay. So um, jumping from position into um, the link between fear and pain yes it's i think you know what pain is all about context in the end isn't it yeah so if you know you are fearful then you feel more pain a good example Mm. which is the one I always use it's not particularly lovely to be honest but Mm. if Liz, for example, was burnt badly as a child and Mm. remembers that Mm. and the pain that came with that. And Georgia has never been burnt before. But, Mm. you know, and that was in the past. And then now we burn both of you. Liz would feel more pain because fear, yeah, yeah, that the pain is bad pain can often make the pain more painful because pain thrives on context. So. If you have less fear, the funny thing with the brain is that you actually physically feel less pain. Yeah, Yeah. that's right. Exactly. So therefore, we need to get rid of the fear. And the fear comes, you know, we reduce fear by giving lots and lots of knowledge because you can appreciate that if if you stop dilating, this is a big one five centimeters then you know an hour later still five centimeters an hour later still five yeah (laughs) if you don't understand the different options that could be happening there and understand what to do about them then Mm. you absolutely are getting fearful that fear gives a bad context and that ramps up the pain because your body is worried for you pain just comes out you know, it, it's yeah. it's it's perceiving threat, and if you think yeah. the threat is high, then it will give you a higher pain experience. So yeah, that's why, and that's why we change the language sometimes for some people um, mm. when it comes to contractions. We don't call them pain. Yeah. Because we can tell that that sparks fear in that yes. person and that person therefore yeah. will feel more pain. And that's why um, people call it pressure or waves or surges. Oh, to be fair, yeah, yeah. Joe jo and I can't quite, I mean, look, if you'd have told me beforehand that it was going to be a, a surge that was a wave. <laughs> <laughs> or a wave. I love waves. <laughs> I would have killed you like, yeah, in yeah. my head because I was mute, but later. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it just, again, it's picking that for the people and, yeah. and that's what, what we love doing because you can tell when someone likes the word pain and when another person can't, can't. can't handle it just by the look on their face. So, and I guess shifting that perspective, I always stuff this saying up, but labour is the pain in labour. There is pain in labour but it is not painful. Yeah, that's, I think that's the terminology. That's the yeah, term. it's funny. And yeah. just shifting that perspective of where, you know, with that fear and pain and, and acknowledging with the contraction, as you're saying, like the more knowledge is power and feeling familiar in an unfamiliar situation can make such a difference. Mm. What's the one just we love, helping, Joe? Um, Well, things like, you know, labour pain or the contractions are happening for you, yeah. not yeah. to you. They're bringing you closer oh, to your I baby. Like you. I like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think Tam came up with that one. I didn't, but I do like <laughs> yeah. it. Nice, Tam. Oh, I don't know. Nice. I know we stole this one. We though. stole it from oh. someone. <laughs> no, yeah, probably. This one I know we definitely stole off Ali Handley at Body Love. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Pain with purpose. It's pain oh, with nice. purpose. Pain I like that. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, actually, um, she might have stole it off the lady that researches that in Melbourne. Um, uh, anyway, Laura who Whitley. Who cares where it came from? But um, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. That's, that's good. That is, that is, um, it, and, it, and it's, it's evidence-based, mm. that. Um, yeah. So what uh, Laura did is interviewed a whole lot of women mm. about their pain experience during birth because what she's trying to understand is why on earth would 
labor be painful i mean if we're trying to procreate and and you and we're meant to have babies then mm. why would they make why would labor be painful and yeah. so what is there must be a purpose behind it mm. and um, we do educate our women in born ready about this too because this um, for us and particularly I think anyone with a bit more of a scientific brain helps when mm. you know, oh, okay, it is painful because what the pain does is it keeps you focused. It keeps you mm. in the zone. Yeah. You you cannot think about anything else when you have labour pain because you if you've been there, you'll know what we're talking about. You can't. Like it keeps you there, Yeah. which means you will – you will listen to your body a little bit more. You will take your body to where it needs to be, which will make the labour far more efficient mm. and, um, and, yeah, and, and keep you in the zone. Mm. So that is one of the, the big purposes. They also talk about the fact that, you know, when you have an event that is so enormous like labour, like mm. it is truly one of the biggest events a woman will go through in their yeah. life. Yeah. Um, that pain, I guess, almost um, signifies yeah. the, mm. the, the, you know, the size of the event. So it really yeah. matches. So when you, you, you know, it does meet the significance, if you like, of the event. So yeah. we certainly try and um, educate women around the purpose of their pain. And we also help them understand this idea of it being good pain. Um, And it is because, you know, for us, it is really hard to get around the fact that the reality is it's painful and it's a difficult pain to explain. Mm. Um, You can't really simulate it. Calf cramp. The intensity. It's the closest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, calf cramp. Yeah. Yeah, true. In um, the stomach. <laughs> yeah, but in the stomach and, and a calf cramp that gets bigger and stronger with time instead of yeah. the reverse. And then it, you know, and then so. it fades. Yeah, yeah, and then it comes back again. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, and that that's meant to happen and that that's a good thing is sort of, mm. you know, it's just trying to convince people that that's, that's a good thing and, and get, get that in your head, yeah. you know. Yeah good pain it's not doing the damage it's good pain it's bringing yep. me closer to my baby just um, muscle yeah. just muscle mm. yeah 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 and to finish off today we wanted to ask if you find if patients have improved birth outcomes when feeling empowered through education yes yes, <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah. Most 100% yeah. not yeah. like yes yes better birth outcomes but not always guaranteed actual better birth outcome but yeah. certainly yeah. I mean I guess if you take into account birth satisfaction yes that is a better so what I'm trying to say is you can't always guarantee a particular birth yeah. Um, yeah. experience you know as in no forceps definitely no you know this no that short second stage you know really quick first stage none of that can be guaranteed I think you can shape it towards a more likely chance of that absolutely yeah. therefore better birth outcomes in that way but yeah. certainly even when it all goes a little askew they'll have made their birth plan and so they understand all the choices they made along the way and yeah. um yeah. they'll have they're not they're not angry and that's yeah. that's a much mm. better birth outcome I yeah. think then yeah that's right recovery. and the beautiful thing that we hear is just the that they you can hear that women and their partners rolled that birth out as opposed to so they'll say so then I decided this mm-hmm. so then I asked for this then yeah. I moved to this position as opposed to they told me to do this then they mm. told me to do that so it yeah. is very and much I didn't know this and I didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. so it's almost like a you know I guess a, a woman and their partner led birth yeah that mm. makes yeah. that makes we think the difference yeah, for yeah, sure. Amazing. That's right, Joe. Yeah, the way it should be. Great. Mm. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for your time today, ladies. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much Yay. for coming on the episode. No worries. Pleasure. Thank you for having, for having us. us. <laughs> Find show notes and other information on the Dow Health website. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and subscribe. Thank you. This podcast is intended as generalized health information only and was relevant at the time of recording. It is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or as a substitute for treatment from a medically trained practitioner. Guests who speak on this podcast express their own opinions, experiences, and conclusions.